Welcome back to the Troop Leader Experience Podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today because not only is it a little bit different of a conversation because she's a staff member, but also we used to work together back in the day. So without further ado, please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are, what you do, where at council. Yeah, a little bit about you. Yes. Hello. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Amber Rickberg. I am. I'm so excited to be here with you today, Sarah. We work together in Arizona. So I have been a, I started with Girl Scouts as a volunteer in 2009, spring of 2009, uh, became part-time staff. So I am from Iowa, grew up in Southeast Iowa. So my council is Girl Scouts of Eastern Iowa, Western Illinois. My best friend was a council staff person. I started as a part-time outreach person, helping her first as a volunteer, and then we got a grant, so I became paid. And then about a year later, a full-time staff position opened up, and they were like, Amber, you should totally apply. And I was like, are you crazy? Like, I see how much, ever, how much you all work. You guys work so much. And um, here I am, 14 years later, still here. I spent about four and a half years here at Western Illinois. And then I moved to Phoenix and worked there with you, Sarah, for seven years. I moved to Missouri and was with Girl Scouts of Eastern Missouri for two years. And I have been back home here for a little over nine months now, back at Eastern Iowa, Western Illinois. Most of my experience is on the membership volunteer support side of things, but I've also done quite a bit around Gosh, just about everything that comes along with that. So outreach programming, working with families, of course. I did work with GSUSA as a mission delivery coach. So training fellow staff and volunteers on several different topics. But my specialty was in conflict resolution because I got to do a lot of that at my time in Arizona Cactus Pine. So wide arrangement of activities that I have done with Girl Scouts. And it's been a wild ride that's taken me all over. I have a million questions and I feel like there's so much you could offer (laughs) in terms of wisdom and resources and ideas for the people listening. But I wanted to start with like dialing it all the way back to the beginning. So you Mm -hmm. said you started with Girl Scouts as a volunteer. Does that mean were you ever a girl member? I was a girl member. So I participated from kindergarten through, I believe it was fifth or sixth grade. And my situation, so I live in Iowa and I do literally live in a cornfield. We have a, we live out in the county, in the country here. And so for my family, I rode the school bus about 10 miles into town. And so I, my Girl Scout meetings would be after school and my parents would come up and pick me up after that. And so uh, in about sixth grade, just some family resources and things changed to where I wasn't able to really stay after because just timeliness and my one of my parents, my mom was in school at the time and my dad was working the second shift. And so um, I had a lot of caregiving responsibilities for my siblings. So I didn't get to continue with Girl Scouts. I also stopped as a girl member in sixth grade. So that's super interesting. I have total, I was going to call it FOMO. I guess it's not, I was, it's not a fear of missing out. It's like a regret of missing out for like the international travel and the gold award stuff. Like, do you feel the same getting to see all the stuff? Yes, 100%. I say that all the time. And when I talk with 
families and girls and parents, I say, you know, I was really only in it till about sixth grade, but I wish I would have known all of the, and not just I, I wish my parents would have known about all of the opportunities that older Girl Scouts are afforded, like the international travel, like, you know, all of those pieces. I really wish that we would have just had more awareness around that because how amazing. And I did have a little bit of FOMO. Well, you're right. I think it was regret, uh, regret or like sadness because I did have a classmate that got to go to Europe in high school. And that's how I found out that the Girl Scouts were doing that. And I was like, I wish I could have done that. Right. So, yeah, I'd say that's so funny. Sorry, I say that all the time. It's funny. I had a friend who was in my troop and stuff growing up and she stayed, quote unquote, in, although our troop didn't make it all the way to high school. So she stayed in as an independent girl member in Juliet. Her mom really pushed her to do her gold award so that she would have the opportunity for scholarships. And so Mm -hmm. from the outside, I didn't see that she was participating in cool stuff. I saw that she was forced to do more work before graduation. So like as a as a teenager, I did not have regret of I mean, I had regret when I when I quit. I didn't want to quit doing it in sixth grade. But by high school, like I was not sorry to not be a Girl Scout, but as an adult volunteer and when I was a staff member seeing all the opportunities for girls, I was like, what? I totally missed out. So starting there, one of the things that I've talked about a little bit on this podcast is for people who are trying to communicate with parents either at parent meetings or, I mean, maybe they can't even get their parents to necessarily attend a parent's meeting and they're trying to figure out the parent communication thing. Do you have any tips or suggestions for how do we communicate things about impact, kind of long-term scope, and the idea of the opportunities in the future for girls who may be kindergartners or they may be at any grade? But how do we, like, what are some ways we can communicate that to the parents in our troops? I think that's such a great question. And I think we, I think it has evolved. In my time with Girl Scouts, you know, I used to, at a parent meeting or like at a recruitment event, get up there and just give the whole spiel about everything that Girl Scouts is. And I I even, I can remember a specific event where I was like, I wanted to make sure that I gave them every single piece so that nobody had any questions because I told them everything. And I remember after a recruitment one night being like, oh my gosh, these parents were so overwhelmed by everything that I'd given. And so I think what I've really been trying to do, both myself and I do manage staff now, and as I'm talking with my staff or training my staff, is pulling it back a little bit and finding out more about the specific family, which you brought up a topic that I do think is is valid that sometimes parents aren't even showing up for a meeting like for a parent's meeting and um so i think i'll come back to that piece of it but really finding out what it is that is important to them as a family for their girl so that's literally one of the questions that i ask are what experiences are you wanting for your daughter like finding out what what it is that they are really looking for Um, I hear a lot from families, I would say a majority of the time, a lot of times families are talking about they want community for their kids. They're looking for their girl to be able to make friends. They're looking for their girl to be able to belong to something. This community and sense of belonging is something important. And so when I hear that from families, what I really encourage them is, I think that's excellent. I love to hear that. 
Girl Scouts is for everyone. Girl Scouts is for you as caregivers to be able to participate. And so it's important and it means a lot to your girls and to your kids that when you are participating in Girl Scouts, that when the parents show up or the caregivers show up for things as well, that means so much. And that just helps to build both their community and the adult community as well. So I think really kind of zeroing down what is important. Some families might say like, oh, we're just looking for something to do after school, keep my kids active and things like that. And so I think I would talk with my new leaders about if they're hearing things like that, inviting those parents to help participate in helping plan some of these activities that we're thinking about, right? So if they're wanting their kids to get out and be more active, what event can that parent help lead for the troop? Is it a hike? Is it a, you know, outdoor sports skills day? You know, is it something? But getting them involved and encouraging them to be a part of their girls' experience. Okay. I love that because I would, I have recommended this. I haven't had a parents' meeting episode in a while, but I have talked about this in parents' meeting um, or caregiver meeting uh, episodes in the past where I've I've suggested asking similar questions. So I already liked that advice, but I always would take it from the approach like what I did personally, which is then I know, first of all, what's most important to them in my delivery as a troop leader, like what, uh, you know, parents are going to be the biggest determinant. I've said this before, but parents are the biggest determining factor in retention. So no matter how much the girl does or does not want to come, if the parent wants them there or the caregiver wants them there, then they'll be there. And if the caregiver doesn't think it's important or doesn't see value, the kid will not be there. It doesn't matter what the kid wants as, until a certain age. And then maybe it matters what both of them want. But sure. the the caregiver's investment is like the biggest key for retention, in my opinion. So um. Like I always thought of it as so it's important that I deliver there. It's also important that I communicate on those pieces that this is what I see happening. This is what I'm witnessing. Here's photos or videos that portray exactly what you said was important. Right. So um, really trying to psychologically kind of play the game of like, look, you're getting that. Um, but also I like to ask questions around kind of like myths or expectations as far as how long do you see like in a in an ideal world, she loves it. You love it. It works for your family. How long do you see, do you envision your daughter continuing to participate in Girl Scouts? And that was super interesting because so many people would say elementary school. And so it was an opportunity for me to say like, hey, you know, it goes through 12th grade, right? Yeah. But I love that you took it to this level of not just those points, but but then you have an in for figuring out what to ask them to help with. Yes, and those absolutely. things that are important to them. Invite them in to help. And I think yeah. that's such a like big missed opportunity for me. That is a great call out. <laughs> I will say in supporting new leaders and helping new leaders come on board. And I will also say there is a difference now in post-pandemic volunteers and pre-pandemic volunteers because the world is different, right? Um, how people want to spend their time, how people will spend their time, what they're showing up for. It's just different. And it's not right or wrong. It just is. But in helping new volunteers, like I tell them it's so imperative that they are specific about the help and, and connecting with the parents because they can't just do it all. Um, there's just so many things going on that leaders, that it has to be a, 
a family collaboration with all of the families in the troop. And I know that that's not always possible, right? I know that there are families, whether it's a single, uh, you know, it, it's a single parent or a single guardian family, or maybe a non-traditional family where kids are living with uh, folks other than their parents, that, that people just don't always have time to give. But even Figuring out a way for bringing those folks on board as well is going to be really imperative to the, the to the success of a troop and to and to how long because when leaders don't have that support from the families in their troop, it doesn't. I mean, it's important and imperative that we as staff give them good support, but if they don't have the support of the of the other people within their troop, they they won't have overall success because it'll just be they'll it be exhausted. Totally. And I love that you really touched on not just inviting people into help, but inviting them into help in a specific way. And that's something that I've talked about, not just with caregivers and like inviting the families in, but also with asking girls for help with things. Yeah. Um, asking a specific person for help with a specific task is going to be way more of a successful ask than just in general. Does anybody want to help overall? Or mm -hmm. I really need people to help in general. Um mm -hmm. Nobody really knows how to step up and help or they don't have clear expectations of what that looks like. And especially in the beginning, you might not know what that looks like. So mm -hmm. totally understand mm -hmm. that as well. Um, but as things become clear, like being able to ask specifically, can you help me as an extra set of hands during meetings? Can you help me uh, manage the cookie inventory? Can you help yeah. me with camping trips? And mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Or on camping trips, can you help me with first aid? Can you help me with tending fire? Can you, you know, like obviously yes. there's training and certification involved with different aspects of things, but like specifically asking. So mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about something that you touched on at the beginning in your experience. You said the bulk of your experience or the bulk of your expertise, I guess, has really been around conflict resolution. And that's something yeah. we have in common. So yeah. I wanted to also touch on the conflict resolution piece and ask you in your experience, what is the biggest, most common source of, I, that's really, what is the most common source of conflict that you see uh, troop volunteers come up against in this role? And how can they work through? 100%, um, 1,000, 1 million percent is communication. Conflict arises when there is a breakdown in communication, when expectations are not being met from either party. So I will always stand 100% by we are adults and we as adults owe it to ourselves and to the other adults that we interact with to be very clear and open and understanding about communication. So um, I will say that a majority, even I, I would say that 99.9% .9 of the conflicts that I've had to help uh, navigate, mediate, um, facilitate conversations around has been communication and folks not feeling confident or comfortable enough to have some trickier conversations with people that either aren't meeting their expectations or vice versa. You know, parents, caregivers, co-leaders are upset with someone else for not meeting their expectations. And so having to have a conversation with a leader and help facilitate that. So I think Awareness and self-awareness as we are adults of being aware of how we're communicating and being clear. You you just brought this up a few minutes ago about 
asking for specific things, specific asks, keeping that same thought in how we're communicating, being clear and concise with how we're communicating with the other um, adults within our group. Um, there are situations and things it, it happens often with, um, and I know that uh, that troop leaders have to deal with this too, where there are separated families within a troop. So a girl's caregivers or parents are divorced and there's two separate households. And that that is a, a piece where we really, as Girl Scouts, we have to really be careful of how we um, address some of those things because that's not really a Girl Scout issue. That's an issue that those, that, that family has to deal with. But it does come up because the parents will bring that to the co to the leaders or the co-leaders and you know that we have to get involved to help navigate some of those conversations but it really does boil down to communication i love that um i could ask you a million more questions about that but for the sake of time i do have another thing i want to ask you which is one of my favorite things about working with Girl Scouts when I worked there formally a while ago. If you're new here, I worked for my council like 10 years ago in Arizona, and then I've been a volunteer pretty much since then. But one of my favorite things about working for Girl Scouts is the work that goes on behind the scenes where Girl Scouts as an organization on the staff side does a lot of work on what the state of girls is, what girls are, what's happening with our girl populations, both in the U.S. as a whole, but also in our individual councils, like what girls, what what's happening with our girl population? What are they up against? What are they facing? What are their obstacles like? What are their hardships? And then how can we serve those girls and those families? Because it's not just the girl, it's also what what's happening population-wise, demographics, geographics, all of those things with their families. So I'm curious to hear what, for you and your experience, like working with council, what are some kind of focus areas or some things that girls and their families, what's going on with girls and their families, either in the U.S. or in your specific geographic area that um, are like focus areas for your council or for the Girl Scout movement, like nationwide, whatever you are most yeah. comfortable speaking to? Sure. I can speak a little bit to both. And having the experience that I have across three different councils, but then also, you know, I do have some of that bigger picture experience with being a mission delivery coach and, and interacting with, I've been really fortunate to go and visit several other councils and interacting with staff from other councils. I think one thing that we can all agree on is um, one of the biggest things is accessibility resources. So I think one of the biggest things are for our low-income girls or, you know, Sarah, you and I were having a conversation before this about families that are, they're employed, actively employed. They are above the poverty line, but they still fall below that line of the cost of living. You know, there there are a lot of families that don't have the resources or the access for girls to be able to participate in extra things outside of taking the bus to school and home or, uh, you know, just at any extracurricular activities. So I think that is definitely one thing. I think that on the bigger picture, I don't see as much of this uh, here in the state of Iowa, but there definitely is some communities and areas where this is more prevalent and that's access to resources within their language. So, you know, in Arizona, we had a high percentage of the population that is Spanish preferred. And so we did have 
more resources available for those families that were Spanish language was uh, their first language Spanish was Spanish. But here in the Midwest, that's something that we struggle with having accessibility and accessible resources to. And so there are communities and girls that don't have access um, to participate or that their families don't know about Girl Scouts because we don't have um, resources for them. And that is something that I will say that mo- many, many, many councils are working on and that Girl- GSUSA is working on as a whole is making things more accessible in that way. Gosh, I could go on and on for days about a lot of things. I know we could do a whole interview specifically about that, but I love the Spanish language thing was one of the most interesting things working for the council in Arizona. And my data is not exact because I don't have it in front of me. I don't remember it to the T and I also it's 10 years old. But one of the things that was most interesting to me was learning about how at the time there was this uh, projection that like I think it was like one in four girls in Arizona was speaking Spanish at home and that was projected to go up to three in four girls in Arizona would was speaking would be speaking Spanish at home within 10 years. Now I have no idea what actually happened because now it's been 10 years since we were having that conversation at council. But that was really, really fascinating to me to think of like, well, how we're approaching the movement mm-hmm. <laughs> or those families has to really change and evolve. And it does sound like that it has been, but yeah, super interesting. Okay. Two more questions. If you have time for them that are um, cheesy, but a little more, a a little like, uh, I don't want to say less big, but more personal. Um, Okay. So there are two that I like to ask everybody. So one is Girl Scouts doesn't just help girls grow. It's for adults to grow too. So like one of the things I love from the volunteer side, which is what we spend a lot of time talking about on this um, podcast, obviously, is that all the benefits that we like kind of promote that girls get out of Girl Scouts, we as volunteers also get. So um, I'd love to hear what is one way you've been impacted or changed through your experience of volunteering slash working for Girl Scouts? Um, I could go on and on for days about all of the all of the wonderful things. Um, but I will say my network and my community. I have made some of the very best friends of my life through Girl Scouts. That's both with fellow staff, with volunteers, um, you know, people that I've met uh, in my community just through work and through experiences like that. Uh, it really is a network of people that really want to do great things for our girls and for our communities. So uh, 100% would say the biggest impact has been building my network and and meeting wonderful people. I love that. Okay. What advice would you give new troop leaders? Oh, that is such a good question. And it's really appropriate because I've had so many new leaders lately. And I will say this, my number one piece of advice that I tell them is that Girl Scouts can be flexible. It doesn't have to every meeting be, you know, there aren't, and I, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and say it this way, there are no Girl Scout police. So if they don't hit every single agenda item or every single meeting um, item that they have planned out ahead of time, as long as the girls are safe, the troop money is being managed 
correctly and and the girls are having a great experience and everyone's expectations are being met. The girls, their caregivers, the leaders, Girl Scouts can look however it needs to look for that truth. Um, there are no Girl Scout police that are going to pull up and be like, I'm sorry, you missed this one step for this one badge and we're taking it back. As long as money is being effectively managed, that also cookies and fall product and things like that being incorporated into that and safety of the girls is top priority. Everything else can be flexible. Yeah, I love that. That's perfect. And a great note to wrap up on. And I just thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And if you're listening to this and you're like, this is not that long of an episode. Why do you keep talking about time? It's because we chatted for so long before we started recording. So out of respect to uh, Amber's schedule serving the girls and volunteers in her area. I'm not trying to keep her all afternoon, but I really appreciate this. And I'd love to have you back on because I'm sure there's just so many more tips and like talking points that you could really speak to that would be really beneficial. And plus, I just like hanging out with you. So we'll definitely um, come back for follow up uh, conversations in the future. But thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for everything you do for the girls and volunteers in your community and in all of the communities that you have served in your career. Thank you. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much. I'm so glad we got to reconnect with this. And I would gladly come back in the future. This has been great. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Thank you so much. And what an awesome resource for volunteers and new leaders. I share this podcast with so many people because I think what you've built here is so amazing. So I love yeah. that there's this community. Yeah, because again, Girl Scouts is, even though our councils are, every council is a little bit different, Girl Scout volunteers are Girl Scout volunteers. And all of these pieces and, and information and resources are just, just help, they're helpful to everyone. Totally. I hope so. That that was a huge reason why I wanted to start this podcast in the first place is just that realizing that for me, my experience as a staff member was so there was so much training and so much support as far as mission delivery goes and really learning about the structure of the program and the research behind things and why this is important and how it works. And in order to really get acclimated as a staff member, there was so much support. And then becoming a volunteer and realizing that on the volunteer side, there were volunteers who were very well supported. And there were also volunteers who had absolutely no clue and were feeling around in the dark and couldn't get, felt like they couldn't get responses or they just felt like they were doing it alone and everybody's recreating the wheel. And this could be in the same zip code, right? Let alone like larger geographic area. So then realizing that if that's true on that much of a concentrated level, that nationwide and including our our Girl Scouts overseas members say no. Shout out to you guys. I know there's like a group of you that let listen. Love you. Mean it. So happy that you love this podcast too. And I'm never trying to exclude you. So I feel like that that experience is not consistent for sure across the movement. So um, trying to bring some consistency to we do not all need to recreate the wheel and we can all share resources with each other. And this is something that reaches globally. Like that was a huge intention behind it. So thank you. Thank you for your time and see you listening. We will see you next week. 